This is section 16 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today by Mark Twain and C. D. Warner. Chapter 16. While Ruth was thus absorbed in her new occupation, and the spring was wearing away, Philip and his friends were still detained at the Southern Hotel. The great contractors had concluded their business with the state and railroad officials, and with the lesser contractors, and departed for the east. But the serious illness of one of the engineers kept Philip and Henry in the city, and occupied in alternate watchings. Philip wrote to Ruth of the new acquaintance they had made, Colonel Sellers, an enthusiastic and hospitable man, very much interested in the development of the country, and in their success. They had not had an opportunity to visit at his place up in the country yet, but the Colonel often dined with them, and in confidence confided to them his projects, and seemed to take a great liking to them, especially to his friend Harry. It was true that he never seemed to have ready money, but he was engaged in very large operations. The correspondence was not very brisk between these two young persons, so differently occupied, for though Philip wrote long letters, he got brief ones in reply, full of sharp little observations, however, such as one concerning Colonel Sellers, namely that such men died at their house every week. Ruth's proposed occupation astonished Philip immensely, but while he argued it and discussed it, he did not dare hint to her his fear that it would interfere with his most cherished plans. He too sincerely respected Ruth's judgment to make any protest, however, and he would have defended her course against the world. This enforced waiting at St. Louis was very irksome to Philip. His money was running away, for one thing, and he longed to get into the field and see for himself what chance there was for a fortune, or even an occupation. The contractors had given the young men leave to join the engineer corps as soon as they could, but otherwise had made no provision for them, and in fact had left them with only the most indefinite expectations of something large in the future. Harry was entirely happy, in his circumstances. He very soon knew everybody, from the governor of the state down to the waiters at the hotel. He had the Wall Street slang at his tongue's end, he always talked like a capitalist, and entered with enthusiasm into all the land and railway schemes with which the air was thick. Colonel Sellers and Harry talked together by the hour and by the day. Harry informed his new friend that he was going out with the Engineer Corps of the Salt Lick Pacific Extension, but that wasn't his real business. "'I'm to have, with another party,' said Harry, a big contract in the road, as soon as it is let. And, meantime, I'm with the engineers to spy out the best land and the depot sites." "'It's everything,' suggested the Colonel, "'in knowing where to invest. I've known people throw away their money because they were too consequential to take seller's advice. Others, again, have made their pile on taking it. I've looked over the ground. I've been studying it for twenty years. You can't put your finger on a spot in the map of Missouri that I don't know as if I'd made it. When you want to place anything, continued the Colonel, confidently, just let Beriah Sellers know, that's all. Oh, I haven't got much in ready money I can lay my hands on now, but if a fellow could do anything with fifteen or twenty thousand dollars as a beginning, I shall draw for that when I see the right opening. 
well that's something that's something fifteen or twenty thousand dollars say twenty as an advance said the colonel reflectively as if turning over his mind for a project that could be entered on with such a trifling sum i'll tell you what it is but only to you mr brierly only to you mind i've got a little project that i've been keeping it looks small looks small on paper but it's got a big future what should you say sir to a city built up like the rod of aladdin had touched it built up in two years where now you wouldn't expect it any more than you'd expect a lighthouse on the top of pilot knob and you could own the land it can be done sir it can be done the colonel hitched up his chair close to harry laid his hand on his knee and first looking about him said in a low voice the salt lick pacific extension is going to run through stone's landing the almighty never laid out a cleaner piece of level prairie for a city and it's the natural center of all that region of hemp and tobacco what makes you think the road will go there it's twenty miles on the map off the straight line of the road you can't tell what is the straight line till the engineers have been over it between us i have talked with jeff thompson the division engineer he understands the wants of stone's landing and the claims of the inhabitants who are to be there jeff says that a railroad is for the accommodation of the people and not for the benefit of gophers and if he don't run this to stone's landing he'll be damned you ought to know jeff he's one of the most enthusiastic engineers in this western country and one of the best fellows that ever looked through the bottom of a glass the recommendation was not undeserved there was nothing that jeff wouldn't do to accommodate a friend from sharing his last dollar with him to winging him in a duel when he understood from colonel sellers how the land lay at stone's landing he cordially shook hands with that gentleman asked him to drink and fairly roared out why god bless my soul colonel a word from one virginia gentleman to another is enough said there's stone's landing been waiting for a railroad more than four thousand years and damned if she shan't have it philip had not so much faith as harry in stone's landing when the latter opened the project to him but harry talked about it as if he already owned that incipient city harry thoroughly believed in all his projects and inventions and lived day by day in their golden atmosphere everybody liked the young fellow for how could they help liking one of such engaging manners and large fortune the waiters at the hotel would do more for him than for any other guest and he made a great many acquaintances among the people of st louis who liked his sensible and liberal views about the development of the western country and about st louis he said it ought to be the national capital harry made partial arrangements with several of the merchants for furnishing supplies for his contract on the salt lick pacific extension consulted the maps with the engineers and went over the profiles with the contractors figuring out estimates for bids he was exceedingly busy with those things when he was not at the bedside of his sick acquaintance or arranging the details of his speculation with colonel sellers meantime the days went along and the weeks and the money in harry's pocket got lower and lower he was just as liberal with what he had as before indeed it was his nature to be free with his money or with that of others and he could lend or spend a dollar with an air that made it seem like ten at length at the end of one week when his hotel bill was presented harry found not a cent in his pocket to meet it 
he carelessly remarked to the landlord that he was not that day in funds but he would draw on new york and he sat down and wrote to the contractors in that city a glowing letter about the prospects of the road and asked them to advance a hundred or two until he got at work no reply came he wrote again in an unoffended business-like tone suggesting that he had better draw at three days a short answer came to this simply saying that money was very tight in wall street just then and that he had better join the engineer corps as soon as he could but the bill had to be paid and harry took it to philip and asked him if he thought he hadn't better draw on his uncle philip had not much faith in harry's power of drawing and told him that he would pay the bill himself whereupon harry dismissed the matter then and thereafter from his thoughts and like a light-hearted good fellow as he was gave himself no more trouble about his board bills philip paid them swollen as they were with a monstrous list of extras but he seriously counted the diminishing bulk of his own hoard which was all the money he had in the world had he not tacitly agreed to share with harry to the last in this adventure and would not the generous fellow divide with him if he philip were in want and harry had anything the fever at length got tired of tormenting the stout young engineer who lay sick at the hotel and left him very thin a little sallow but an acclimated man everybody said he was acclimated now and said it cheerfully what it is to be acclimated to western fevers no two persons exactly agree some say it is a sort of vaccination that renders death by some malignant type of fever less probable some regard it as a sort of initiation like that into the odd fellows which renders one liable to his regular dues thereafter others consider it merely the acquisition of a habit of taking every morning before breakfast a dose of bitters composed of whiskey and assafetida out of the acclimation drug jeff thompson afterwards told philip that he once asked senator atchison then acting vice-president of the united states about the possibility of acclimation he thought the opinion of the second officer of our great government would be valuable on this point they were sitting together on a bench before a country tavern in the free converse permitted by our democratic habits i suppose senator that you have become acclimated to this country well said the vice-president crossing his legs pulling his wide awake down over his forehead causing a passing chicken to hop quickly one side by the accuracy of his aim and speaking with senatorial deliberation i think i have i've been here twenty-five years and dash dash my dash to dash if i haven't entertained twenty-five separate and distinct earthquakes one a year the negro is the only person who can stand the fever and ague of this region the convalescence of the engineer was the signal for breaking up quarters at st louis and the young fortune hunters started up the river in good spirits it was only the second time either of them had been upon a mississippi steamboat and nearly everything they saw had the charm of novelty colonel sellers was at the landing to bid them good-bye i shall send you up that basket of champagne by the next boat no 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 thanks you'll find it not bad in camp he cried out as the plank was hauled in my respects to thompson tell him to sight for stones let me know mr Briley, when you are ready to locate i'll come over from hawkeye good-bye 
and the last the young fellow saw of the colonel he was waving his hat and beaming prosperity and good luck the voyage was delightful and was not long enough to become monotonous the travellers scarcely had time indeed to get accustomed to the splendours of the great saloon where the tables were spread for meals a marvel of paint and gilding its ceiling hung with fancifully cut tissue paper of many colours festooned and arranged in endless patterns the whole was more beautiful than a barber's shop the printed bill of fare at dinner was longer and more varied the proprietors justly boasted than that of any hotel in new york it must have been the work of an author of talent and imagination and it surely was not his fault if the dinner itself was to a certain extent a delusion and if the guests got something that tasted pretty much the same whatever dish they ordered nor was it his fault if a general flavor of rose in all the dessert dishes suggested that they had passed through the barber's saloon on their way from the kitchen the travelers landed at a little settlement on the left bank and at once took horses for the camp in the interior carrying their clothes and blankets strapped behind the saddles harry was dressed as he was seen once before and his long and shining boots attracted not a little the attention of the few persons they met on the road and especially of the bright-faced wenches who lightly stepped along the highway picturesque in their colored kerchiefs carrying light baskets or riding upon mules and balancing before them a heavier load harry sang fragments of operas and talked about their fortune philip even was excited by the sense of freedom and adventure and the beauty of the landscape the prairie with its new grass and unending acres of brilliant flowers chiefly the innumerable varieties of flocks bore the look of years of cultivation and the occasional open groves of white oaks gave it a park-like appearance it was hardly unreasonable to expect to see at any moment the gables and square windows of an elizabethan mansion in one of the well-kept groves towards sunset of the third day when the young gentlemen thought they ought to be near the town of magnolia near which they had been directed to find the engineer's camp they decried a log house and drew up before it to inquire the way half the building was store and half was dwelling house at the door of the latter stood a negress with a bright turban on her head to whom philip called can you tell me auntie how far it is to the town of magnolia why bless you child laughed the woman you's there now it was true this log house was the compactly built town and all creation was its suburbs the engineer's camp was only two or three miles distant you's bound to find it directed auntie if you don't care nothin about the road and go for the sundown a brisk gallop brought the riders in sight of the twinkling light of the camp just as the stars came out it lay in a little hollow where a small stream ran through a sparse grove of young white oaks a half-dozen tents were pitched under the trees horses and oxen were corralled at a little distance and a group of men sat on camp stools or lay on blankets about a bright fire the twang of a banjo became audible as they drew nearer and they saw a couple of negroes from some neighboring plantation breaking down a juba in approved style amid the high highs of the spectators mr jeff thompson for it was the camp of this redoubtable engineer gave the travelers a hearty welcome offered them ground-room in his own tent ordered supper and set out a small jug a drop from which he declared necessary on account of the chill of the evening 
i never saw an eastern man said jeff who knew how to drink from a jug with one hand it's as easy as lying so he grasped the handle with the right hand threw the jug back upon his arm and applied his lips to the nozzle it was an act as graceful as it was simple besides said mr thompson setting it down it puts every man on his honor as to quantity early to turn in was the rule of the camp and by nine o'clock everybody was under his blanket except jeff himself who worked a while at his table over his field-book and then arose stepped outside the tent door and sang in a strong and not unmelodious tenor the star-spangled banner from beginning to end it proved to be his nightly practice to let off the unexpended steam of his conversational powers in the words of this stirring song it was a long time before philip got to sleep he saw the firelight he saw the clear stars through the tree-tops he heard the gurgle of the stream the stamp of the horses the occasional barking of the dog which followed the cook's wagon the hooting of an owl and when these failed he saw jeff standing on a battlement mid the rocket's red glare and heard him sing oh say can you see it was the first time he had ever slept on the ground End of chapter 16